Um, I hope that you are all enjoying this beautiful Labor Day weekend so far. If you've been with us for the past three weeks, you know that we have been talking about Paul's admonishment to us in the early verses of chapter 5 of Ephesians, that we cannot be riding dirty if we've been born again into a new life in Christ. If you missed any of those sermons, go to our website, catch up this week. They all build on one another. And I'm telling you, the warnings that Paul gives us here are dire ones, and we are fools to ignore them. So have you ever thought about what it might have been like to have been friends with the Apostle Paul? I mean, he was a pretty intense guy. Jesus radically transformed him. He was not the same person after that life-changing day on the road to Damascus. Jesus and the hope of the gospel became Paul's greatest love and his life's most earnest pursuit. His greatest joy, his driving compulsion, his singular focus. He gave what remained of his life to see that others might be just as utterly transformed by Jesus as he was for God's glory alone. So we're going to read again what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. David has helped us go through and unpack every word in order to gain the right understanding of just what Paul is teaching here. And that is critical. But as you listen to these verses again this morning, I want to encourage you with that foundational understanding of the text under your belt. See if you can hear Paul's heart, his love, God's love, ultimately for you in these words. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. So undergirding this entire letter, And everything that Paul writes is this one irrefutable and immutable truth. If you have been born again, if you are an adopted child of God, if you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, if you're a saint, if you've been set apart by and for God, all descriptions that Paul uses for those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, then you are loved. Deeply, immeasurably, and nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. But here's another irrefutable, immutable truth. There are seven plus billion people on the planet right now. And every single one of them was born squarely on that road headed to eternal destruction. Every single one of us was born loving ourselves, loving our sin, and hating God. We are full-on enemies of him. That's what God's word tells us. But it also tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Plucked off that road to destruction and placed squarely on that road leading to life in God's kingdom. 
What kind of love is that? It's beyond anything we could ever have conceived of on our own. It is beyond anything we could ever be capable of on our own. How could we ever adequately respond to so great a love? Well, Paul tells us, imitate him. Just like a child automatically wants to imitate his loving parents. If we are God's beloved children, then we should want to imitate his holiness, his kindness, his tenderness, forgiveness, and love. But that then begs another question. How on earth could we ever do that? How on earth could we ever be like God in all those ways? Well, what have we been learning all these months in Ephesians? That when we are born again into a new life in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit and he begins to walk us down that path to holiness. And what that means is that we actually start becoming more and more like the one who saved us. And that's precisely why Paul can exhort us to be imitators of God through the transforming power of his spirit. We can be like the one who loves us so deeply and securely. We can be like the one who is so incredibly kind and compassionate and forgiving. If we truly understand the depths from which we have been saved... How could we not want to imitate the one who has poured grace upon grace on us? With God's wellspring of love flowing into us, we won't be able to help it. It will just flow right back out of us and onto all those around us. And it will be for God's glory alone. We are loved by God. And so we must live like it. It's impossible if not for the Spirit who lives within us. But with His help and power, we can live a life of love, a life like Christ's that glorifies God. But just like he did in chapter 4, Paul goes on to tell us specifically what that does not and cannot include. Sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness, filthy, foolish, crude conversation. These things are absolutely disgusting I really love how the NIV says that there isn't even to be a hint of this stuff in our lives. As I thought about these verses, I just couldn't help but think of something very personal to me. Um, I received a cancer diagnosis about five and a half years ago. And if you have ever had any kind of serious health scare, cancer or otherwise, and I know many of you have, you know that for just a minute, your whole world comes to a complete stop as you realize that something will take your life if you don't make some pretty drastic changes. Had I ignored the very real cancer that was in me, it would have been deadly, no doubt about it. And so I wanted rid of it, every last inch. Who wouldn't? I didn't care what I had to do. As soon as was utterly possible, I wanted it gone, and I didn't want a hint of it to remain. Because all it takes is a hint of ignored cancer for it to grow and grow and grow until it destroys you. I cannot be healthy and have cancer at the same time. There is no middle ground. 
For me to have continued living as if I was perfectly healthy while trying to ignore or hide the cancer in me would have been utterly ridiculous. Cancer is to our bodies what sin is to our souls. You have to understand this, to believe this. This is what Paul is saying. We cannot be born again and be riding dirty at the same time. Why on earth would you want even a hint of immorality or impurity or covetousness to remain in you? It's stupid. Quite frankly, it makes as much sense as ignoring cancer. One thing was for sure, I couldn't get rid of my cancer on my own. I needed a surgeon to get it out of me. And I can't get rid of sin on my own either. So if you're sitting there this morning feeling a bit defeated or discouraged because you realize that you have at least a hint of this riding dirty stuff in you, you're right to feel that way. Because it is an impossible calling to imitate God. It is an impossible calling to walk in love. It's impossible to rid ourselves of these things if not for the gospel. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Do you see why we will never stop preaching this slide? We will never tire of it. May we never, may it never grow old or boring to any of us. This is a matter of life and death. The gospel is not just a story that we hear once and we say a little prayer and then we move on. No, we have got to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day, multiple times a day. It is our lifeline. It is the only cure for our sin-diseased lives. The creator and giver of life is the only one who can bring me back from the dead, which was where I was when I was headed for eternal destruction. And when he did that, the king of the universe became the king of my heart, and I will never be the same. Just like Paul, and just like you, if you've been born again. The two consequences that we can expect if we ignore Paul's warning are sober ones. First, we can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I don't know about you, but I, that's just shockingly stark. At the very least, if you're paying any attention at all, it makes you take a long and serious pause. Over the past two years, between the Sermon on the Mount and Ephesians, we've talked quite a bit about sexual immorality and impurity, um, but we haven't hit covetousness quite as much, and so we're going to land there for just a bit longer this morning. Paul connects being covetous with the word idolater. Ultimately, an idolater is someone who cherishes and treasures anything more than God himself. But idolatry is tricky to spot sometimes. I mean, it's not as if we have statues made of wood or, or precious metals that we're like putting up on our mantle and, and bowing down to, right? 
But make no mistake, we have idols. They may look different from culture to culture, certainly from biblical times to now, uh, but we most definitely have them. If we're not careful, the very good gifts that God gives us become so precious to us that our allegiance and our affection shifts, sometimes so subtly that we're not even aware of it. But here's one way that we might begin to identify what may be taking on idol status in our hearts. Ask yourself these questions. What do I have that I cannot imagine being happy without? What do I feel would absolutely devastate me if I lost it? What is that thing I would be willing to do anything to get? Idolatry is present when we want and love God's gifts more than we want and love God himself. But idolatry, it never, ever leads to happiness. Our idols never deliver what we hope they will. And that is why the sin of idolatry goes hand in hand with covetousness. It creates a person who is endlessly greedy, always wanting more, more money, a bigger house, a different marriage, a a nicer car, a better job. At the end of the day, an idolater is a person who's really just continually discontent, coveting what they are convinced they need. They believe that by getting that one thing, whatever that one thing is, they'll finally be content. They'll finally be happy. But it is a lie. The truth is, when we allow even a hint of idolatry and covetousness to remain in us, it grows and it begins to consume and shrivel our hearts. So for years and years, I loved, don't laugh at me, Chevy Suburbans. I loved them. I'm convinced it was because they have always reminded me of my dad and mom, of home, right? I mean, that's all we drove for all the years my brothers and I were growing up. And I think we went through like four of them, right? We drove those things into the ground between practices and games and college and trips, right? And so as a mom, an adult and a mom that needed to schlep around my own three kids, I wanted one so bad. And everybody knew it. I actually got one one Christmas. Um, it was a matchbox car, which was super funny. <laughs> really enjoyed that gift. But um, one day, my best friend, who lived right beside us, got one. And it was so nice. I mean, the color, the leather seats. I was... Not pretty inside. My whole family went over to see their new suburban. And I was like, nah, I ain't doing it. And I don't remember if it was that day or, or the next day or whatever, but Jody, my husband, eventually came to me. He's like, so are, are you, I mean, are you, are you going to go see their, their new suburban? I was like, no. He was like, are, are, you, are you ever going to go over there again? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was covetous. I wanted that idol, I I mean suburban. And my heart was turning more and more sour by the minute. Covetousness kills joy, peace, contentment. The fact of the matter is when I am full of covetousness, it will eventually find its way out of me. Remember, belief and behavior are inextricably linked, right? 
If I believe that someone else has what I believe I want or need or am entitled to, I will eventually act on that belief. I'll act like a bratty child when my friend gets a Suburban. When we allow even a hint of covetousness to remain in us, it will grow. And it will lead to greater and more sin. If we're secretly coveting someone else's spouse, it will lead to sexual immorality. Because remember, all I got to do is lust in here or here, and I'm guilty. Coveting will result in impurity because I will be doing will be willing to do whatever it takes to keep up with the Joneses. I'll, I'll neglect the people and the responsibilities that God's placed in my life. I'll cut corners. I'll outright lie, cheat, and steal. Covetousness, if ignored, will eventually result in destruction. In other words, there will be no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, I mean, you're not making me feel very happy or good this morning. Well, let me remind you that happiness is never the goal of a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Holiness is. If you want to be happy, pursue everything that's holy. But here's the good news. You see, there is a difference between an idolater and someone who just daily battles the sin that still remains in him or her. There's a difference between people who are casual, careless, and complacent about their sin and those who hate it, and they long to immediately throw it off in repentance. That's what saints who still sin do as we're being sanctified and on our way to one day being glorified in God's presence forever, which brings us back to this. It always brings us back to this. Friends, we've got to preach the good news and the hope of the gospel to ourselves every day. Even if we have been justified through faith in Christ, we are still going to sin every single day. We're likely going to have hints of that foul stuff creep into our hearts and minds way more often than we're comfortable admitting. Exhibit A. But the minute that happens... And the Holy Spirit convicts us with that pit in our stomach and that awareness that we've strayed from holiness. We fall to our knees in humility and repentance. We receive the forgiveness that is ours in Christ and we breathe a sigh of gratitude for such grace. And little by little, as we walk hand in hand with the Holy Spirit down that path to holiness, we'll be sanctified We'll become more and more like Christ, no longer controlled by the deceitful desires of sin on the inside of us, but instead able to overcome them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day, one day, the battle will be done because we'll be standing in the presence of God, glorified and done with our sin forever. I truly cannot wait. Is it any wonder Why Paul says, instead of all that foul stuff up there, let there be thanksgiving. When we understand what we have been saved from and what we have been saved for, we cannot help but respond with deep and profound gratitude. When you are overflowing with thanksgiving to God, then you're not dominated and driven by discontentment and disappointment at what you believe you've been denied. 
by God's grace, I hated what was happening inside of me over a stupid suburban. I didn't want it to turn into resentment toward my friend, but so much more than that, I did not want it to turn into resentment toward God as if he had denied me anything. He gave me life. He poured out such incredible goodness and kindness and grace on me already, enough to be thankful for eternity. And so he helped me to repent, to receive his forgiveness, and he flooded my heart again with peace and joy. I walked myself over to my friends, and I sat on the porch beside her, and I shared that I had more than a hint of covetousness in me. And she responded with grace and love, and we together thank God for his goodness to us in Christ. You know, thankfulness, it is a powerful and profound response. As I was thinking about it, I realized that genuine gratitude to God cannot exist apart from genuine humility. Because when we're thankful, we're acknowledging that unless he had chosen to be good to us, kind to us, forgiving, gracious, and generous to us, we would have been left in the depravity of our sin forever. Thankfulness means that we're acknowledging that we could never coerce or manipulate that kind of love. It is completely unmerited. And that kind of love results in such deep thanksgiving that it ends up coming out of our mouths. It's evidence in our character, our relationships, the way we spend our time and our money. It is so overwhelming that we want to live and walk in the same kind of sacrificial love that was given to us in Christ. We want to live and walk out of a constant awareness of the gospel hope and life that is available to us every minute of every day because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And although this is true of all the other riding dirty stuff, I can personally attest to the fact that covetousness and thankfulness cannot reside in the same heart either. You cannot embrace one without forgoing the other. And so when we stay continually aware of and thankful for all that God has done and is doing for us in Christ, meaning we're preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, we actually safeguard our hearts against covetousness and all that it leads to if we ignore even just a hint of it in us. So remember how I said Paul was a pretty intense guy? Well, this is part of what I mean. I mean, he gets pretty intense here at the end of this section, doesn't he? He's warning us about not being deceived, about empty words. Why on earth is he talking about God's wrath for crying out loud? Well, to come full circle, it's because we are beloved children. God, the Holy Spirit, is writing to us through Paul because he loves us too much not to warn us. The sheer quantity of empty words out in the world, all of the lies that we are told all day, every day, it doesn't matter how you live, you do you. A little bit of sin never hurt anybody. You're a good person compared to most everybody else. Don't sweat it. That Jesus talk is over the top. The Bible is outdated. You don't need to listen to that stuff anymore. Get all the money you can while you can. Ditch your spouse when he or she no longer makes you happy. And on and on and on. Empty words. All of them. Friends, do not be deceived. 
Why? Because God's wrath is very, very real. When we engage in any kind of sin habitually and without repentance, and we're not mad about it, we have got a serious, serious problem. We're either born again by grieving the Holy Spirit or we're not born again at all. Either way, we have to understand that sin demands just consequences and they come in the form of God's wrath. God hates sin. All of it. It does nothing but bring death and destruction. And God loves us so deeply He hates sin so completely that over and over and over, all through his word, he warns us of its devastation. Listen to just a few verses from the Old Testament. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them, which is idolatry, by the way. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Old Testament and New Testament. Do you see how he has been steering us toward holiness the entire way through Scripture? It's because he loves us. It's not an easy path, but it is a good one. And because it's a path, he knew that we would never be able to walk on our own. He sent his son to walk it for us to bear the wrath for our sin that we deserved, to die in our place and to rise again to eternal life so that by grace, through faith in him, we might be forgiven, justified, sanctified, and one day glorified. There is no God like our God. There is no happiness, no greater happiness than to walk hand in hand with the Holy Spirit in holiness Preach the gospel to yourselves, friends, all day, every day. And lift your hearts in praise and thanksgiving. It is the only response that makes any sense and the only one that is fitting for so great a God as ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your plans and purposes are perfect. Your ways are perfect. We thank you for the salvation that you made available to us in Christ. And we thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit who will bring our sanctification to completion. Our prayer this morning is that you would help us to hate our sin. Help us to identify the idols in our lives that we might repent and find our deepest joy and contentment in you and your holiness. God, we are so grateful for who you are and for the promise that one day, All those who are in Christ will spend eternity in your glorious presence. You alone are worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and power. And we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 